If you have your Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 20 through 28 this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 28. Um, and as you're opening up there, I will just say, if you don't mind, uh, just pray for the Alexander family. The Easter Bunny brought Jim a kazoo, and we're quarantined. And so if you could just uh, pray for our sanity over the next couple of weeks, that would, that would mean a lot to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. Uh, if you have a Bible and it's open there, if you'd like to stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God, you're welcome to. Um, I use the ESV. If you need to Google these verses, you can. I would encourage you to do so. Um, they're worth a lot more <laughs> than anything else I'll say today. The best thing I can do is try to tell you what the text says, and that's the goal this morning. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the hope it gives here on Easter Sunday. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You were not made to die. It is unnatural that we die. There's a reason why for all the kind of things we try to tell ourselves, we still cry. At a funeral, it's because it's just not right. It's not part of life. It's not part of the way things are supposed to be. You were not made to die. And yet, all around you, there are reminders every day. Reminders that you will. When you look in the mirror, you're another day older. When I look in the mirror every day, there's a new gray hair or two. When you ride down the road, you ride by... A funeral home, you ride by a graveyard. Today, what a strange Easter it is. It looks nothing like we expected it to look. And it's a reminder. It's a reminder of our mortality. It's a reminder that one day we will die. We're in our homes today because we can't go out because we're afraid rightfully 
not fearful necessarily, but cautious, to make sure that we don't get sick or that we don't get other people sick. Something we can't even see, wreaking havoc in the world around us. One singer-songwriter who I like wrote a song called The Fourth of July. It's in the context of an album called Carrie and Lowell, where he reflects on the death of his estranged mother. A lot of, it's not an Easter Sunday album, I'm just going to tell you. So, you know, if you're wanting to pick me up this afternoon, I wouldn't go listen to it. But in this song, Fourth of July, he's talking about the loss of his mother and kind of talking in her voice in so many ways, who he's estranged from. She was, honestly, from all that we read, was not a great mother. She's an addict and all kinds of different things. But as he's processing her death, listen to what he says in this song. He, he states this really starkly and really bluntly. Shall we look at the moon, my little loon, not like crazy person, my little duck? Why do you cry? Make the most of your life while it is rife, while it is light. Well, you do enough talk, my little hawk. Why do you cry? Tell me, what did you learn from the Tillamook burn or the 4th of July? We're all going to die. And the song's really stark and it's really haunting. And the end of the song just ends with that refrain of we're all going to die. And on this whole album, as Stevens reflects on the death of his mother, in this song in particular, he's talking about two things that I think are really poignant illustrations. The voice of his mother asks him, what did you learn from the Tillamook fire? That's this beautiful old forest, the Tillamook forest in Oregon that burned. He's talking about a huge, horrible forest fire. And he's talking about the 4th of July. What did you learn from the 4th of July, we, we see elsewhere in the song that what he's talking about are these beautiful fireworks displays that happen on the 4th of July. So he's talking about this beauty of a forest, the beauty of a night sky filled with fireworks that faded so quickly, that were gone in a moment. In other words, I think he's helping us see a truth that we all know that we all recognize that God has told us in His Word, life is a vapor. And can't we stop for a moment, even on Easter, feel the weight of the fact that we're all going to die? And that's precisely why, that's precisely why this morning you need to know that the resurrection is good news for you. The, the resurrection matters. The, the resurrection is important. And I want you to see this morning the truth of the resurrection. I want you to see that death comes for us all, and yet there is one of us, a man, a person, in whose image we are made, who went to death and came out victorious. There is one. There is only one. But there is one. There's good reason to believe that the resurrection is true. There's good reason to believe it's true. Now, we don't have time to get into all those reasons today, but if that's something you're struggling with, shoot me an email. We'll have my email address up later in the service or even now if they want to put it up. You can email me at malexander at fbcgazin.org. If you email me or whatever, we can Zoom together. We can email. We can call. I can send you some resources, whatever you want. If you're struggling with whether there are good reasons to believe it's true, there are those reasons. But also, 
This morning I want you to know there are this morning I want you to know that also you should want to believe that the resurrection is true. There are good reasons to believe it is true. But today, I, I want to talk to you about why you should want to believe it's true. I want to show you three beautiful truths about the resurrection and why it matters. And I hope and pray that every person will find these reasons compelling. I, I think they make perfect sense of the world. And I think they give us a compelling hope for the future over and above any other worldview, any other possibility. This is a stark and dark world, totally devoid of hope. It's a world where it's always Lent and never Easter without the hope of the resurrection. You should want to believe the resurrection is true. So this morning I want to show you three reasons why the resurrection matters. Three reasons why you should believe, should want to believe that the resurrection is true. Here's the first. The resurrection matters because sin matters. The, the, the resurrection matters because sin matters. Notice what Paul says here, verses 20, 21, and 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you see even the way that the language of the Bible defangs death? Isn't that beautiful how the Bible talks about death? What happens when you go to sleep? Eventually, you wake up, right? Sleep doesn't last forever. It, if you've ever been to a funeral, it doesn't feel like sleep, does it? No. Do you see the way? Do you see the way that Christian language even begins to show the way that death is not all-powerful? Even when it talks about it as falling asleep. For as by a man, verse 21, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I've got bad news. You inherited sin from your ancestor, Adam. You inherited sin. You see, our first parents, Adam and Eve, Though God had given them a perfect life and perfect love and a perfect relationship with Him, and they provided for all their needs, they decided they wanted more. And in their pride, they rebelled against God, and therefore, because of the, the relationship they had with the world that God had given them, the rulership they had over the world, the whole world fell into sin with them. And you see, I don't think there's anything that makes sense of the world quite like the fall. No, nothing helps me make sense of the world around us. It's clearly created to me. It's hard for me to believe this came from nothing. And so if it came from something, nothing makes sense of the world that could have been created by God or even a good God or even just any God. Nothing makes sense of the world, though, to me, quite like the fall. But it doesn't just make sense of the world we live in. Sin makes sense of our own hearts and lives. Now, that's not what you want to think about on Easter, is it? If I, could just, if I could just figure out sin, I could figure myself out. But you know it. I know it about myself. We all know it. You're not just imperfect. You, you may try to tell yourself that. But you know, we can say to err is human all we want. But I think we all recognize that there's something deeper going on. 
I, I think we all tell ourselves all the time, just be a decent human. You're just a decent human. Just be a decent human. All the while we know there's something deeper going on. There's something decency can't knock off of us. Your inherited nature and your corruption has resulted in you personally sinning against a holy God. God is not happy with sin. We inherited sin and death from Adam. We are fallen, and nothing about that seems fair to us. Every once in a while, I'll hear my kids yell those words out. It's not fair. You know what I do when we say that, when I hear that? Bring them in and say, we don't talk like that in this house. We don't say things like that in this house. We, we, we don't say it's not fair. We don't sit around measuring what we deserve in this house. Because trust me, you don't know what fair is and neither do I. You see, it doesn't sound fair, but don't get frustrated too fast. Don't, don't turn the sermon off too quickly. Because the truth is, what you're frustrated about can actually be glorious for you. Because though you are represented by Adam right now in your sin, if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to keep the nature you inherited from Adam. You could get a new nature. You, you can be made whole by Jesus Christ. You see, the same doctrine that means that Adam is your head also means that Christ can be your head by faith. That he can represent you by faith. While sin and death is yours in Adam, righteousness and life can be yours through Christ thanks to his death and his resurrection. Do you see this beautiful truth? Sin matters. Sin matters a lot. It matters so much that God was willing to do something about it himself. And so his son, Jesus Christ, came into the world and he died for your sins. And sin matters so much that you needed Jesus to be raised from the dead on your behalf so that your sin could be dealt with. Do you see what the Bible says? You can receive a new nature. You can be brought into a new kingdom in Christ, we have been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam, all die. We're all going to die. But so also in Christ, all will be made alive. Would you put your trust and your faith in Jesus that's not the only reason the resurrection matters, though. It's not only because sin matters. Also, the resurrection matters because justice matters. The, the, the resurrection matters because justice matters. Listen to verses 23 through 25. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You see, our society, at least people, a lot of the people I know, young people at least, tend to be pretty allergic to the idea of individual sins. Just our society as a whole is really allergic to the idea of individual sins sins. But, I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but our society really loves the idea of justice. 
You notice this? We're really allergic to the idea of personal sins, but we have a real fixation on, on justice. In particular, you've probably heard this term social justice. It gets thrown around a lot, and people use it kind of as a weapon and talk about it in different ways and think about it in all these different ways. Now, I don't always agree with how people want to define that term. Yet, think about it like this. Justice belongs to the Lord. Justice belongs to the Lord. So for just a moment, let me just say, let's just say you're a skeptic. And let's say you hate the idea of personal sin. Okay, I I get that. You say, I don't really care what a fuddy-duddy God has to say about how I behave. And I certainly don't care what a group of Baptists has to say about what I do or how I behave. Okay? Okay. I don't think God cares, you might say, about what I say or who I sleep with or what I do as long as I am a decent person. As long as it doesn't hurt someone else, I don't think God cares. So let's imagine that's true of you, but then at the same time, you also resonate with the idea of broad societal sense. You reject the idea of personal sin. I don't believe that I'm doing anything wrong. I think I'm just generally a decent person. But you dislike broad societal sin. You hate justice, injustice like racism or hurting the poor or other issues like that. Here's what I want you to know. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. You you, you see, because the reality is all of us have to recognize that we care about justice more than we think and we care less about our own personal sins more than we think. Almost all of us care more about justice in a generic sense than we care about our own personal sins, right? I think I can do whatever I want until somebody does it to me, right? But you can't have one without the other. But I want you to know, But the Bible helps us see both with crystal clarity. What does the Scripture say here? The Scripture says, Then comes the end when He delivers what? The kingdom to God the Father after destroying what? Every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. You see, the Bible talks about a sort of unholy group that works in tandem to help bring about displeasure to God and furthermore disobedience to God. Scripture talks about it in terms of the world, the flesh, and the devil. There there are forces at work in the world, fallen humanity, the fallen world, injustice and things like that are at work to disobey God and to bring about horrible things. Our flesh is at work in our own hearts to bring about disobedience to God. And the devil's at work in the world as well. But do you see what the Scripture's teaching here? Jesus died for your sins, to redeem your flesh, to make you whole before Him. But He also died to make all things right. He died and now He is raised. And so those who trust Him will also be raised. And then He will destroy all evil and all wickedness. You see, our individual sins have a context of broad social, systemic sins. What we do as individuals bears itself out on into the world. The Bible talks about that as the world. But the individual redemption that Jesus has given you also has a context. It's the context of the kingdom. What Jesus is doing to make all things right and to bring all things under submission to Him. 
You see, individual sinners need individual salvations, but we are welcomed not only into a personal relationship with Jesus, but we are also welcomed into a kingdom. And God's perfect justice will be enacted in that kingdom. God is making all things right. You see, what I want you to know is that even though you might not believe in personal sin, even though you might think that you ought to be able to act and do however you want, the reality is that there are vestiges of your conscience that are left behind that still long for God to rule as He was meant to rule. To make all things right. To to leave no trace of sin in the world. To, To make the world such that there's no such thing is cancer. That there's no such thing as junky moms, right? Or abusive fathers. To make the world where there's no such thing as racism. To, to make the world where everybody's got enough. We, we long for that because that's the world God has promised. We long for a world where there's no COVID-19. Not just because we're ready to go eat chips and salsa again. All, all you can eat, you know. But because we long to live in a world where God has made all things right. Where God has made all things new. Do you see what the promise of the resurrection is? is do you see what christ is offering us in his death and in his resurrection all christ's enemies will be destroyed everything will be made right there will be nothing left that does not submit to the authority of god one way or the other you see the reality is The resurrection matters because God's justice matters. And Jesus is going to enact His justice in the end. And only those who are in Him by faith, only those who are in Him by faith will escape that justice. But that nag you have in your heart, that nag you have in your heart for things to be made right, don't you see how the resurrection Don't you see how the resurrection promises the answer you long for? If you care about justice, the fact that all the enemies of Christ will be destroyed is good news for you. But my friends, that's not it. That's not all. The the, the resurrection matters because justice matters. The resurrection matters because sin matters. But finally, the resurrection matters because life matters. The resurrection matters because life matters. As we finish up here, I really want to focus on verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I'm not dodging the last part of these verses I know Jim Enzer's watching this morning. He'll have something to say about that if I'm not careful. Uh, if, you, if you have a question about that, I'll answer it later. You can ask me. You should have time to look at everything. I really want to just focus on the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, I made a vow as a pastor early on, early on in my ministry. I made a vow to never make peace with death until Jesus does. And Jesus isn't. He's going to destroy death, right? 
And so I have never made peace with death. Um, I've, I've been to too many funerals where the pastor acts like death is a good thing. And there's such thing as a merciful death. And there's such thing as a blessed death, right? We all recognize, we hope we will die in a blessed way. And yet I've never been to a funeral where I didn't still have the reminder, though, that death is the enemy of Christ. Death is the enemy of Christ. When we were in seminary, a pastor and his wife told us, you don't pick your favorites, but your favorites pick you. And that's borne itself out to be true in ministry. I love all, all of God's people, but some people you just have a special relationship with, and they make it so. One of those people was a lady named Dorothy Butler. Many of you would know Dorothy. She's with the Lord now. She died just a few weeks ago. I was at a board retreat for the Etowah Baptist Mission Center. I'm on the board there when she passed away, when I heard, got news that she had passed away. And uh, they told me from, from the office, I think, who told me first. And uh, so I went in the bathroom and wept. Um, finally mustered up enough, kind of could stop crying for a second, called my wife and cried again. And um, I remember sat, kind of sitting there thinking, you know, Alexander, you're a pastor. You know that Dorothy's with the Lord. Uh, you, you, you know that Jesus has defeated death or his cross and resurrection. But at the same time, church, it's okay to do the work of hope. It's okay to do the work of resurrection. In fact, when Lazarus died, what does the Bible tell us? Jesus wept. You see, we're not called to be gospel robots. We're, we're not called to just auto-process. Just as soon as we, we just hear, okay, this has happened, well, let's you know, put in the data and process it really quickly. and Okay, well, the resurrection is going to happen. It doesn't matter anyway. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's okay to do the work of grief. And it's okay here on Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday, to grieve the fact things are not as they should be. Life matters. Dorothy's life mattered. And I believe Jesus is going to take it up again and make it whole again, right? But her life matters. Your life matters. Those loved ones you're worried about today, their life matters. Those of you who are in the hospital this morning watching this sermon, your life matters. This is the reality that every one of us knows deep in our hearts. We are sheltering in place right now because life matters. Christians care about the unborn because life matters. Christians oppose treating some people differently than others because of who they are or what they've done or what color their skin is or how much money they have because life matters. And when you've been created in the image of God, life matters. And what I want you to know this morning is that Jesus stepping out of the grave on the first Easter is monumental huge. It's cosmos altering. It is the pivotal point in all of history precisely because you were not made to die. That's a lie of the devil that lets us make peace with death. It is the image enemy of Christ. And for now, For the time being, like Sufjan Stevens said, this feels like a beautiful forest 
on the edge of a great forest fire. But the Lord's word will not return to him void. Though for now the forest may be burning, singed, on the verge it feels of destruction. Though right now in this life it may all be work and toil and blood and sweat and tears and fear and dread and worry and death. That's right. We're all going to die. But the word of the Lord will not return to him empty. In Christ, we will go out in joy. Through his resurrection, we are led forth in peace. And as the great prophet Isaiah said, though the forest may be burning now, what did he say? He said that all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. My friends, we recognize that Jesus is making all things new because He was willing to be nailed to the tree and because He was raised from the dead. And though this life might feel like the fleeting beauty of a fireworks display on the 4th of July, beauty fading and fleeting and life slipping through our hands, we recognize and we confess this morning that the last enemy to be defeated is death. And in our struggling, in our suffering, even in our deaths, a glory is brewing the likes of which we have never seen precisely because Jesus tasted death for us all. And on that first Easter, He stepped out of the grave. We don't fear death because Jesus has been there. He stepped out of the grave and we know we will too. And so today, even though the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, though the specter of death still haunts this world, and sometimes even the surest and most faithful of saints feel his cold breath on their neck. It makes our skin prickle. Though we're quarantined in our homes, it makes it feel like sickness and death reign supreme. Today, we feast. We sing with joy. We see little kids outside in the yard with brightly colored baskets to hunt for trinkets. We rejoice and we bask in the light of the resurrection. Today in our bright colors, in our springtime garb, maybe even just in our pajamas, we mock the devil, we scorn death, we live life in abundance today because we recognize and we believe and we confess today that through what we've seen in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we know we weren't made to die. Don't forget, brothers and sisters, we were dead yesterday, but today, today we're alive.
I want to offer an invitation to you today. If you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus, take these few moments of reflection and do so today. You can email me at malexander at fbcgasm.org if you need someone to talk to, to pray with you. But you take a few moments now to reflect on these truths, on these thoughts, and to worship Christ in the power and glory of His resurrection. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for His gospel. And God, we thank You for Easter. Not the Easter we expected, but the Easter You've given us nonetheless. And today, God, I pray that we will remember that we were made to live. And God, I pray that we'll find that life in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.